Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on teaching children table manners, Zoom weddings, what to include on accommodation cards, and a question about a work friend becoming your boss. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about the absence of your welcome. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on seating charts. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Oh, Dan, there's a special time of year that we're in here in Vermont. (laughs) It really is. And I'm not talking about this morning when I woke up and there were these thick, heavy snowflakes falling everywhere. Oh, they were so pretty. So pretty. You know, wind blowing. So it was like like gusting around. And then out across the road in an apple tree was a robin. Oh. So I'm looking like through this blizzardy condition and then just a a, a light on a branch. Exactly. Is this little indication that um, I shouldn't believe my lying eyes that spring is actually here. (laughs) It is. It is. And a story that you had from the weekend to me is the sure sign of spring in Vermont because you went to a sugar shack and you went maple syrup. Bing? How do we do we verb? Do we turn that into a verb? Sugaring. We, we went sugaring. We went sugaring. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but you kind of had a, a cool, interesting, I would call it pandemic maple sugaring this year that was a little bit different. You want to tell everyone about it? Well, so the the day all began with the, the usual chitter chatter up on the top of Paulander Road as uh, people were coming and going. You know, one person came and went from the sugar shack way up in the woods up above our house. And this um, little sugaring operation has grown up into, a, would say, a a high-end small-scale sugaring operation. Totally. Which means that they're not producing commercial quantities of maple syrup. This really is an operation for friends and family. It's like the the homebrew, homegrow version, but of maple syrup. (laughs) Well described, exactly. (laughs) But it's also really exciting on the days when they're boiling because you can go up and hang out around the... Sugar shack. The whole operation, the sugar shack. and. When when the sap is boiling, it moves through the system of baffles and the smell of maple syrup starts to just be everywhere and all present. And there's a fire going. So there's a, a tending of the fire that's a part of the process also. 
and I've been wanting to introduce the girls. I just knew that they would love it, Anisha and Aria, if we could get up there. But it's a bit of a hike. So yeah. this is the part of the story I hadn't told you yet, Lizzie, okay. which is that I took the riding mower. <laughs> I, put a, <laughs> I put like a mulch cart on the back of the riding mower and just like headed off into the woods. And <laughs> I, I, I think I got a few laughs when I showed up on the riding mower. Um, oh, my gosh. Get this man an ATV, a four-wheeler ASAP, please. <laughs> I, I know. It was really silly. Sorry. I'm just imagining what they thought of you. I know they thought it was awesome and funny, but it's the funny side of awesome for sure. (laughs) Jimmy came out just to see what I had arrived in. (laughs) Anyway, so it's like a winding road and you're going up through the woods and it's pretty steep. Then you kind of like break out into these meadows where you come up towards a hilltop where the camp is. And as you come up through the meadows, there are a couple of apple trees and then you come up over a rise and I'm in my little mower. And as you come up over the rise, you can see the camp. You can start to smell the maple syrup. It's like in the air. It's, <laughs> it's sweet. Sticky sweet. It's just awesome. Anyway, so we we, we rolled up to the, the, the sugar shack on our riding mower. At and... all of like a quarter mile an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I realized we didn't have masks. Oh, no. We left the house and... Pooja had gathered up our coats and stuff and had put them in the the cart. But um, she had thought I had masks. I thought she had masks. And we were just really disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out that in my coat pocket, I had a couple. Well, first I had one that I knew was there. That's like the old, like crumpled up one that you keep in the bottom of your pocket. Keep forgetting to put in the laundry. Yeah. (laughs) But then I found in my other pocket a kid's mask. So we had two. We had one for a parent, one for a kid. There were four of us. And... There we are in like the middle of the woods in Vermont, all of like, you know, six people total and we're cycling masks so that we could go inside and hang out with each other. And at first I felt silly even making that much of a production out of it until one of the two guys that was working there told me how much he appreciated that we were making the effort, that it was something they were really trying to be careful about and that we didn't see that it wasn't like the four of you in there and it wasn't like just oh forget the mask just because it's convenient we don't have them oh it's no big deal no one was doing the excuse their way out of it thing yeah exactly and 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 maybe you might have said on either side of the equation oh like these people wouldn't want to do this or it would be fine and in both of those cases that wasn't the case (laughs) both groups of people were really much more comfortable with that effort being made and it was so nice and it was it was nice to hear that from them because I was feeling silly that we were maybe not being as at ease as we might have been otherwise. Sure. And that's even coming from someone who's been – I mean you – I have never heard you describe yourself feeling silly about that kind of protective equipment. To have you at the point where you would think, oh, is this – am I being too much? Like it, it must have felt like a, a very safe environment. You know what I mean? Like it, I just wouldn't picture yeah. you as someone who would even question the silliness of it. I could totally see how in a in a shack in the middle of the woods when you haven't been in a store in over a year and neither have your kids or your wife and everybody else is like, you know, not far off that beat too, <laughs> like that it, it could feel silly. But I'm just – I'm glad – I'm glad it didn't to anybody and that the reaction you received was, thank you so much. This actually matters to our family. We appreciate it. Yeah. And, and you, 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 when you get here and you see us not wearing masks, we've been working together in this space for a month and a half. We've reached a certain accommodation. So and they explained that about their own behavior. Exactly. I'll tell you, though, and this is 
all to the good because it allowed us to get to that point in the visit where we'd oot and odd over the setup and all the improvements that had mm-hmm. been made. And we got offered to taste the pour, <laughs> which is a very special moment when you get encouraged to drink maple syrup. And my little girls just did not know what to do when they got handed <laughs> the jar. And the instruction was to go ahead and drink. Just try it. So you had to convince them to try the sugar? Wait, I'm confused. These are these are tiny dots. Did they not believe you that you could really drink syrup? Anisha got it pretty quick. She <laughs> she got that the permission was granted and dove in. Aria thought the whole thing like felt a little suspect, but once that first little bit you know, touched her lips. <laughs> Dude, I had a hard time when our, do you remember years and years ago when there was a big question mark over the purity of Vermont maple syrup? And our, I believe it was like our, one of our, either our governor or one of our senators actually like drank a glass of it on camera at a press conference. And that, it's still, I won't lie, I apologize for saying this over the air, it makes me gag a little bit. It, it just, it's... That's the, a lot. It's a lot of syrup. Um, but, it, and I can only imagine the sugar high afterwards, my goodness. Um, but I, I remember my question to you was, so did, did you get, did like, did they also have pickles? Because that's like a Vermont tradition is to... to Drink your syrup, still hard to say, with with a pickle because that briny sour salt like just so accompanies that super, super sweet and it cuts through that sweet really well. So no, any pickles? We, we didn't do pickles <laughs> and we didn't do the hard-boiled eggs that you can boil in the in Oh, the I sap. didn't know about that one. I didn't or, know about that one. Yeah. And then the other one, you get also like a, if you bring like a restaurant ramekin, you wouldn't put them right in there, but you could also do like hot dogs or. Um, you had said, Poojash, uh, do we need to bring up hot dogs? Like she knew that that was like a traditional thing that sometimes happens in a sugar shack. <laughs> although I'll tell you, this is a very modern convenience. The, the improvements have been made. Yeah. Three years ago, we were all standing around outside. Now it's all enclosed. Oh! There's an Instapot. They're, they're cooking. <laughs> So they've up to they've up to their game, huh? <laughs> there might even be a space heater tucked away somewhere. I don't know. Well, I want to thank you because that is it. It really is a, a super part of Vermont spring tradition, and it's it's really fun living here in town. You know, I don't get out to the sugar shacks. I haven't been to one in a long time, and it it was really fun to hear about your experience and and to live vicariously through it, minus the sugar high. Well, thank you for letting me relive it. <laughs> okay, so here's here's the big etiquette question. You've gone up. You've sampled the syrup. You spent time doing it. Do they give you any? Do you ask for any? Where's the etiquette of the of the of the batch, you know? Well established. It's a year <laughs> tradition. Um at some point, there will be a, a a small package left on our front door and my parents' front door. The O'Briens are so kind. They they always share a couple gallons with us. That is so Vermont. I love hearing it. I love hearing it. Definitely, Dan, that helps to keep this spring sweet. Well, um, before I head upstairs to a tall stack of pancakes, shall <laughs> we get to some questions? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, 
we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled Tiny Table Manners, which just sounds so cute. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I want to thank you for highlighting Emily Post's Children Are People. I found a first edition and have been astounded. Ooh. I know, right? By how relevant and insightful her advice is even today. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and my husband and I disagree about teaching her table manners and social graces. We are type A hard chargers and have worked to tone ourselves down and give her the independence she needs to thrive. But I'm confused about when we start training her to eat at the table. I'm doing my best to model good behavior. It has worked in terms of dinner conversation. She asks sweetly, how was your day, mama? It has Victory. not, I know, right? It has not worked in terms of staying seated, keeping her mouth closed, not jumping around, banging her spoon on the table, etc. My husband says, I'll squash her spirit. She is full of energy and excitement. Is it unreasonable to expect manners at this age? When and how should I start? Thank you for any advice, Erica. Erica, thank you so much for this question. I want you to know that I could probably have written this question and signed my name to it and sent it back to you. Same same with me about my nephew. <laughs> I, 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 in some ways, it's the spirit I want to approach this question in, in that um, – it's not easy to teach table manners and figuring out how to do it in the right moments and at what sort of developmental stage, at what level of capability it's appropriate to introduce what is – it's the trick of parenting. It's yeah. the the delightful and hard work. 
So first off, I want to give you a few etiquette gold stars. Um, (laughs) Bravo for looking at yourself first and thinking about um, the kind of person that you are, how you communicate, how you teach, what you like, and thinking about how that works with your child or any child. I just think that is such a great place to start from. And the idea that you're aware that you don't want to impose adult discipline on a child is something that I also see coming out here, which I I really like and appreciate. There's a real awareness of the fact that kids are just kids. And that's probably the most important thing to keep in mind. The modeling of good behavior also just so key. And I I, I sort of said victory while Lizzie was reading because it is so (laughs) satisfying when your little girl says you're welcome or whatever it is that you've been working on and you hear them take that on and embody that. It's so satisfying. It really is. (laughs) You you then bring up the problem, the particular problem of the staying seated and the timing. And this is one of those areas where I, I, I want to say this is a particular thing that I wouldn't worry too, too much about. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons that it's so hard to take kids that are this age. And by this age, I'll say that sort of late toddler anywhere from, you know, two, two and a half to right up to four or five where they haven't really started to build that discipline and self-control yet. But they've got enough agency and they've got enough capability to move around and get into some trouble. Absolutely. And it's just <laughs> developmentally not the perfect time to be focusing on a long duration of sitting still and being quiet. Mm-hmm. So I think take your victories where you can at this stage of development in yeah. that you do the good behaviors and you practice the behavior itself, whether it's how you hold the utensil if he or she is ready for that or whether it's the conversation that you're really focusing on if they're mm-hmm. ready for that. It might be about – coming to the table and just being present Mm -hmm. for long enough to register with the whole family and maybe just staying in that area if they can't sit still in the chair. Mm -hmm. But you can start to work closer and closer as their capabilities improve to that behavior that you're ultimately looking for. This is definitely like long haul behavior teaching and it, it's hard and it, it is not easy with a an, a an excitable child. You know what I mean? Any child. We talk a lot in our children's etiquette program, our children's train the trainer program about how table manners with kids start when you're nursing them, you know, when, when they're still being bottle fed even. And it's, it's the idea that you take the time when you're feeding them at any stage in their life to do things like put your phone away, to sit at that table with them, if it if it makes sense. Sometimes when you're nursing, you want to be in a more comfortable spot, <laughs> more quieter spot sometimes. But it's it's about setting up all those expectations, but not setting them at the adult level, as as Dan's saying, is that you you do go for age appropriateness, but that you're not even too early at this stage to be talking about and encouraging these things. The trick is to not let yourself get worn down by the amount of repetition and patience that you have to exercise to get it. I guess the patience is the antidote to that, but to really recognize that it's going to be a long haul to teach your kid these things and to teach them all these things, right? Like even in this example, we've just listed staying seated, keeping your mouth closed, Not jumping is like, you know, staying seated for the most part and not banging a spoon. Even just the three ideas of staying in your seat, 
keep your mouth closed when you chew. Really hard for little kids, I've, I've found. And the not banging utensils or mis- you know inappropriately using your, your utensils or glasses or plate. Those are three really hard things to work on. Like it, it will take a long time for all three of those to become things that feel comfortable on a regular basis or that you're seeing on a regular basis. I can remember one of the little boys that I was uh, babysitting. I started with him when he was four and I stopped working with that family when he was probably seven going on eight. And it was right at that six to seven where he started to use his fork with more um, dexterity than before. And it's like even that was something that it took all the way up to that age seven, you know, to be able to to get there to like use your fork to I think the example Dan was he was using his fork to very carefully remove the icing on the inside of the cake, you know, between the layers to eat mm-hmm. just that icing. But watching him have that much control over the implement was like, I mean, his parents and I were all, we were all just like, oh my gosh, look at you go. Like, whoa, like you really have control over this. But again, he was seven. Um, so it takes a long time. We've talked some about your um, grandmother, who was famous for teaching table <laughs> My manners. My other on... grandmother. <laughs> yeah, right? And in some ways was was a, a, a more uh, sort of strict etiquette maven, maybe even than Emily Post. <laughs> more Millie, regimented, yeah, let's say, maybe. Than, than, than maybe Emily herself. Do You, you know uh, the story, right? Do you want to tell it? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I know the apocryphal version that there was a kid's table yep. and that you at some point graduated from the kid's table to the adult yeah. table and yeah. that your first year after that graduation to the adult's table was spent essentially as the guest of honor at the right, right. hand of yep. Granny Pat. You got it. And at the she, right hand of Granny Pat. That sounds you, so you legendary. <laughs> received it. Well, this is how I. Uh, uh, this is how the story comes to me, a cousin over, and yeah. and that that you were educated in proper table manners by oh, yeah. Granny um, Pat, someone who I don't think I've ever referred to as Granny Pat before this moment. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Your grandmother. Um. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. My mom is one of seven. And her mother's way of dealing with raising seven kids was was to to be fairly regimented with things. And um, one of those things was table manners. And they lived in a house that had a, a fancy dining room. And then it had the kitchen table. And when the kids were growing up, uh, you were seven years old when you were invited to sit at the adult table at the right hand of Granny Pat. <laughs> and, um, well supervised. Just to for make that her more legendary. Year. Very well supervised. And she did, and, and remember this, this wonderful woman did this with seven children. So it was, she had seven years almost straight, but not quite of doing this. She had her kids really close together. Um, and so it was, there, there was a, she, she really went for it. But she spent a year really focusing on that child's table manners when they were seven years old and felt like that set them on the way. It's going to be different for every family. But the the big takeaway from that story, especially that my Aunt Sarah will always, always tell, is that uh, she's the youngest and that she wasn't seven yet when her older brother was, obviously. And she was the last kid left every night at the you know table in the kitchen. And that she had she and she wasn't alone, you know, and this this was a family that had like nannies and cooks and 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 other helpers of the house. And so she ate in there with them or or whatever, you know, while they were preparing dessert or something like that. But it 
it was the real deal. It was like, this was the rule. This was how it went. And no amount of pity for the youngest was going to get you into that chair at the right hand of Granny Pat any faster, especially when it was occupied with your brother who was there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Having his year of instruction. And um, I'm thinking for the purposes yeah. of this question yeah. that you're talking about that not even being a fair expectation of a child till about seven. Yeah, exactly. The reality is that it wasn't going to do Sarah any good to get to that adult table a lot sooner than that. <laughs> and I, I will say that's the part where I want to step away from my grandmother and encourage Erica. To my knowledge, this is not going to extinguish your child's independence to start working in some small expectations. Um, even I know do all kinds of different things from setting a timer of just two, two minutes where we're going to sit in our seat and we're going to take five bites and that's it. And make that the kind of goal. We for do right a three now. bite right there, now. There you go. There you go. Okay. Yeah. You see, I don't have kids and I'm even getting it. Um, but I think that, those are the kinds of ways to chip away at along with constantly, uh, you know, exhibiting the behavior that you want from your kid at, at that mealtime moment. Um, but but small chunkable goals that do build up over time and and you'll see it happen. There are some nights where my nephew, who is three going on three and a half, will sit for a solid like 10 minutes while I mm -hmm. feed his sister right next to him and mom sits and eats a salad and. Um, you know, dad is, is probably making his own salad, that sort of thing. And, and then coming to sit and do that together. And it's, it's not long, but there are some moments where he gets through 10 minutes. There are other times where it's, he eats two bites, says he's full, he's running all over the place. It's like dinner just doesn't really happen. And that is when we all say to ourselves, He's three and a half, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't set it as something that is going to happen and has to happen perfectly every night. And that might be a way to help get your partner on board with it is that we aren't expecting perfection out of this. We're expecting to build slowly on something so that a skill becomes natural to them and, and not feel like it's a punishment and not feel like it's weird or different from what our normal expectations for ourselves as people in this household are. So classic. <laughs> I, I honestly like we could talk about this for the whole show. <laughs> like, Dan, do you think we need to cut ourselves off or, or do, you, I, do I we have any we more do. to go for? <laughs> but so often when I find myself at this point in a question where I could go on for another 15 minutes, <laughs> I find myself really wanting to know what our audience thinks. I would love to hear um, success stories. What's working for yeah. you? What other um, sort of natural challenge spots have you encountered? teaching etiquette at different ages and stages good question um, yeah but particularly around the table i'd be i'd be so curious um everyone's got a, a useful trick or two and i think we could all learn from each other erica thank you so much for this question um clearly you've uh, just scratched the surface of a really interesting topic here you may not care much about table manners now but when you grow up to be me then you'll care but why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Let's imagine the family at dinner with nobody minding his manners. Not very pretty, is it? This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive. 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Our next question is titled Virtual Wedding Woes. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm a longtime listener, but have never written in with a question. My husband and I moved to another country about a year ago and have lost connection with some friends who we appreciate but wouldn't consider close. However, just this past month, we received two invitations, text messages with links, to Zoom weddings to be held within less than two weeks from the invitation. I understand the challenges of COVID weddings, but these weddings are not entirely virtual. One of them had around 50 guests and the other one over 100. I feel as though, since we are now streaming weddings, my friends took the opportunity to cast a wider net for more guests. Cough. <clears throat> Gifts. <laughs> Cough. One of these friends sent me a nice text message inviting me to see the live wedding and saying they would have liked us to be physically present, but it was not possible due to COVID. They didn't give us the chance to decide. This friend later posted this exact text message to her public Facebook with the link to the live wedding. All this to say, I did not feel like an appreciated guest with these Zoom invitations. If these weddings were truly intimate due to COVID-19, I would be flattered by the invitation to participate over Zoom. But having friends host normal weddings and claim they are not able to invite us due to COVID feels like an excuse for having us in a B-list. I am happy to watch the wedding live stream, but I'm not sure I feel comfortable with the expectation to take on the role of a guest and sending in a gift without being an actual guest. Where I am from, it is socially acceptable to include registry details in the printed, formal wedding invitation, though not everyone considers it in good taste. However, both invitations over text message made reference to gifts and registries, hence Ooh. why this feels like a gift grab. All this to ask, are the expectations for virtual guests the same as of the physically present guests? I fear that after COVID, we might have set the expectations on the hosts too low, yet the expectation of the guests, present or not, remain the same. Will we ever return to weddings just being for guests instead of being streamed? Thank you, faux guest. Faux guest. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> um, I'd be like, Dan, you're going to have to hold me back on this. Please chime in at any point. Right, what should what should be the word that I should throw out to just like put a pause on the answer so we can... Uh, I know, um, it's like, say bananas in the middle of it if you need me to stop or something. But like, <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. and, and so I'm, I'm going to kind of do a, a bunch of it at once and then dissect a lot of it. So the first thing I want to unpack is that virtual weddings do not mean only a virtual experience. Um, it is more often than not that, that a virtual wedding is happening as a way to obviously include those who can't be there, but that there is an entire group of people who are there, frankly, and you are watching them experience the in-person wedding when this happens. It's the way that it is. <laughs> um, with COVID, one of the things I noticed in this question was that we just got the virtual wedding invitation. We didn't even get a choice about going to the wedding. That happens during the pandemic a lot because 
they often there was no room for you on that guest list. There were 30 people, 10 people, 12 people, 75 people allowed. And due to family sizes, location of people, whatever it is, you did not make that cut. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a B list. It might mean that uh, and being on a B list isn't terribly bad thing either. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you would have been on that first list anyway. Depend, You know what I mean? Like depending on how 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 big the wedding was, it might mean that we would have loved to have had you in person if we weren't restricted by, you know, uh, mandates and orders and things like that. So I wouldn't worry so much about I've received a virtual wedding invitation, but I never received the in-person one, quote unquote, to go along with it. There is no real go along with it. Lots of people get invited only to the virtual ceremony. I think that due to the fact that so many people have now been to virtual weddings or understand the idea of a virtual wedding, I think you're going to see them stay. I think that they are going to be a thing, much like we talked about with baby showers last week, that I think they are going to stick around as a way for more people to be able to see the wedding and participate in it if they want to. Where I don't want to see this go is to a place where and it's not that it would be terrible, Dan, I'm definitely going to want your thoughts on this next statement, but I'm not sure that I want it to go to a place where it's like always the thing we do or it's always expected and turns into the kind of thing where anyone on your Facebook list has the link. And that includes random people you met at a bar 10 years ago, along with your very best friend. I feel like I have problems with saying this because I, I worry about ranking people. And yet there are legitimate rankings to the people that we know. Your bestie is not the same as that person I just described that you met once and became Facebook friends with, you know, 10 years ago and aren't really that close to. And I can see feeling a little underappreciated as a friend or maybe an extended family member when you kind of get the same link that everybody else gets that's like wide open to your very, very wide social media world. And at the same time, I could see it just being the way things go. Dan, just on that part alone, what do you think from an etiquette perspective? I hear you. I, I In some ways, I don't feel like there's any way you could offer like a general viewing link for your wedding to the whole world, which is essentially to me what putting it on your Facebook yeah. is without creating some kind of confusion about that. Like what 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 exactly is this? Like if, if I was seeing it and I wasn't specifically invited, I would mm-hmm. wonder how exactly I was expected to participate. <laughs> and it, yeah. on the on the flip side, if I felt like I was more specifically invited and I saw that exact same message going out to what I thought of as a general audience or a public audience. I, I would also not know exactly what to make of that. Not it's, feel great. It's awkward. Yeah. Like and and our our faux faux guest says, you know, I felt it I didn't feel like an appreciated guest with that kind of a situation around it. So what I'm hearing here Dan is that hosts and and couples do need to take care when they are issuing virtual invitations that you might have sort of the desire to put it all out there on on the big world, you know, the for everyone post, but then probably don't make such direct and personal outreaches to other folks, maybe? Because what I feel here is the disconnect between I received a message directly to me, which felt nice, 
one of these friends sent me a nice text message inviting me to see the live wedding and, or, you know, virtually. And then later that exact same message goes up to the whole world. I, I would probably just advise hosts to be putting that message up to the whole, either the whole world or the smaller friend group, but not both, maybe. I think taking as much care as you possibly can makes so much sense when you're diverting from really standard traditional expectations like we have been for the last year. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, in particular, what do we make of the texted invitation i'm going to put it in quotation marks yeah. <laughs> with registry information attached we think it is it is wrong by a lot of a lot of counts um and and our question asker notes that where they are from it's really acceptable to include registry details on the the printed formal wedding invitation from the Emily Post perspective, we, we don't advise doing that. From We say that it often um, sort of cuts the invitation from being about inviting the person to being about the gifts that the person's quote unquote obligated to give. And that it, it, it while it can seem really helpful because you know you're creating that obligation. So here, let me get you to a registry to help make it easier. And that's the job of the registry um, that, that we see a tact, a moment of tact that you can take by not putting it on the invitation. When we go to something like a virtual uh, event, um, I and here is where I am sure someone is listening to our backlog from like almost a year ago, and I'll be curious what we said back then. But for that virtual wedding, if there was no way that you were invited to the in-person version of it, I don't think you have to send a gift. I think you should, I think you should send your well wishes to the couple in ding, some ding, way, ding. shape, or form. But I don't think it requires a gift. So I've got to say this whole registry included in the text message, don't do it unless the guest says, hey, I know it's a virtual wedding, but I'd still love to get you a gift. And by virtual wedding, again, we mean that there is a full on in-person version of the wedding that's happened happening and you are just being invited to stream into it. This is not for the couples who they are only doing a virtual wedding. Nobody is with them. You know what I mean? That would be a different circumstance where it's not where I would say they were then required to get gifts, but I would, especially as a close family member or friend, and no, there is no in-person thing happening at all, uh, that I would feel confident saying, go ahead and send the gift. But for this, don't you know, hosts, don't send the link with a text message or a Facebook message or a Facebook public post to your registry? No, 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 no. I would not do that. I think it, it that's, I think exactly why faux guest is feeling like this is, and, and, and they say in the, in their thing, you know, cough, grab for gifts, cough. And it's, it's coming across that way. Faux guest asked if, the latitude that we've extended to hosts who have such a hard time preparing events right now extend mm-hmm. to guests as well. And they absolutely do. I, I mean, so everyone true. is taking um, a more flexible approach to, to our social obligations in a time of social distancing and physical distancing around a pandemic. Yeah. And absolutely that same latitude extends to guests to make a judgment call on something like a virtual and I mean, I, I, I want to put like the air marks quotations around it every time I say it. Invitation yeah. that arrives as a text message and yeah. to a virtual event that's of a different nature than anything we've experienced or, or, or anything that we're used to experiencing on a regular basis. 
I, I think it's so, so reasonable. I really want to affirm that yeah. for for our faux guest who maybe isn't such a faux guest. Dan, I definitely agree. And while we don't have 100% solid answers yet on what the future of virtual weddings in the wedding community would be like as we move forward and as we're able to gather in person, I can see it being something that we are going to to hone, to flesh out, to um, to get more specific about probably in the next two years as, as we see where the trends go with it. But for now... I would say I am sorry that this has been your experience, Fogast, with these weddings and with the the pressure that you feel from them also not kind of balancing out with with the expectations and the host guest roles that are there. Our hope is that as we move forward, it'll start to make a lot more sense and things will settle into places where they they are natural and, and yeah, to be redundant, make more sense. Well, Johnny's rude and selfish. He doesn't think of others. He won't take turns. And he always seems to be mad at somebody, always shouting or bossing us around. You don't think he really wants to be that way, do you? Maybe he doesn't mean to be selfish, but he is. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our next question is titled Accommodation Card Conundrum, and it is very short and sweet. Our listener asks, do you include hotel phone numbers on accommodation cards? Thank you very much. So can I just say yes? <laughs> I think it's a good idea, too. I know that, that typically people are into either links or just the hotel name, like the accommodation place name, and that people would put a not a link but you would just take the name and then research it you know like the Biltmore Hotel Colorado you know Boulder Colorado or something like that I don't think there is a Biltmore Hotel in Colorado but but you know that you would just do that but I think putting a phone number on it is why not you know I think you could certainly include that information on a on an accommodation card it gets sent separately it's not on the actual invitation it's an enclosure there are still some people out there that pick up phones and dial phone numbers <laughs> It's absolutely true. And let's let's be real. It's actually it is really helpful. It it for for someone who would be thinking to do that, it makes it a lot easier um than having to go Google the name or number. And if you know that a bunch of your guests aren't very either internet savvy or just plain don't like having to use the the wonderful World Wide Web that much, I think that that's a good consideration to take for sure. Lizzie Post, speaking of the Google, just to save um, some of our audience the effort, could you tell us what an accommodation card is exactly? Absolutely. And it, it's something that's definitely been overtaken by the wedding website. But an accommodation card would be a list of either hotels that you've already booked room blocks at and have a discount at or uh, hotels or lodging of any kind in the area that's available to guests. So you wouldn't put your friend who's offered her, you know, three bedroom house and isn't going to be around during your wedding as as a place for accommodation, even though that's a place you might help some guests get to if it's available to you. But you would put the local hotels in the area 
I don't think you have to go so far as to do like Air Airbnbs and things like that in the area that would be good. But local hotels, local lodging is all appropriate. And you, you list the name of the place and also list if there is a block at that place that you've reserved. You'd say, you know, mention that you're part of the, you know, Dan and Pooja wedding party or the Senning wedding or something like that. But it goes, it goes, as we just said, uh, it's an enclosure, which means that it gets uh, enclosed in the envelope with the wedding invitation and other um, sometimes travel or, for instance, a registry link or other inserts or things like that. Typically, though, most people, because they're trying to cut down on the amount of paper that gets sent out, both for cost or for carbon, most people just put this as a link on their wedding website. It's a page on their wedding website with links directly to the, the hotels and things like that. Makes sense. Thank you for the uh, <laughs> explanation. No problem. And thank you, Anonymous, for the question. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is about a work friend, now boss, and how to navigate. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I love your podcast. So I have a question about work etiquette. My boss used to be a colleague and was even a mentor to me about 10 years back as I obtained my master's degree. We both have similar backgrounds, having grown up in a different area of the country than we currently live, and have similar work styles. He has a lovely family, and our spouses are also in similar fields, and our kids are around the same age. When we were colleagues, my family visited his family at his home. When he became our boss, no one was more excited for him. He is a great boss and enjoys a lot of support among his former colleagues. For the past five to seven years, our paths were not as close, secondary to his promotion and my projects at work. However, in the past nine months, we have started to collaborate on several projects. During the pandemic, our visions of innovation and how to move persistently forward resulted in him and I having multiple conversations and him asking me to lead several new initiatives. I have never had so much fun, and I am so grateful that he looked to me. It has been fun working together again. But now I am not sure how to relate best to him. I wish that we could gather for dinner or talk a bit more informally, but he is technically my boss now. I would love to grow a friendship, especially with his wife, who I equally adore. I have been more informal at times, speaking like when we were colleagues, and then retreated because I was unsure if I was speaking too informally for a boss. I feel like I swing wildly back and forth between being too formal and too informal and can't figure out how to relate to him. It just feels complicated. He is now my boss, and on top of that, he is a male and I am a female. More awkward, perhaps? Question mark. But this is a rare person and family that feels like they could be a good friend to laugh and enjoy out of work as well. For now, I have settled on he is the boss and that needs to supersede all other history. This makes me a bit sad, but perhaps it's the easiest for him in his role. Perhaps when we retire, a friendship could be possible. Do you agree? Or is there a way that a balance can be obtained? Any guidance is appreciated. Anonymous. Anonymous. 
Oh, anonymous. This is it, it's a, like it's such a sweet natured question because it's like I I want this Will person that friend? I admire and have I... been friends with to be my friend. You know. Yeah, exactly. But I I like the respect that you're giving to the relationship and that you are you're questioning that. That's really good self self reflective yeah. work and and self awareness work and awareness of your position within a company that kind of thing. And Dan, I'm going to take a quick crack and then pass this right over to you. <laughs> Please do. Um, I I think that the the way I would choose to address this would be to talk directly to him and to say, hey, I was wondering if you had a minute to talk about something I've noticed around the office, you know, and then you can say, I have loved our working relationship, you know, way prior to these nine months that we've just started working together. But I realized that the positions have changed since we were under that old structure. And I noticed myself both wanting to be really familiar with you because of all these things that connect us. And and I, I like who you are. And also being very worried that I'm, I'm not respecting you in your position of boss. And I just never want to cross into that disrespect territory based on a past, you know, relationship that we've had. And by relationship, we mean just good working relationship. Like, does that sound fair, Dan? Does it sound like a, a good place to start, maybe? Absolutely. Phew. <laughs> I think that communication, open and honest communication, is often the the easiest thing to do in that it's going to get you the best and cleanest results. And that's not to say that there isn't a place for um, tact when we're talking about <laughs> etiquette or True. being circumspect and respecting other people's privacy. Um and this is a working relationship. It's close enough that if there's something that's starting to um, create just some some friction, even for one party or the other, mm-hmm. um, particularly if it's around something that might not be an issue at all, that could frankly probably be resolved with a little bit of open communication, I I think the rewards are so worth it. And one of the things I really liked about the sample script that you suggested was you were just so explicit about saying i i'm a little confused and i don't ever want to come across as being disrespectful or crossing any boundaries you wouldn't want me to cross so Mm -hmm. i'm asking you for some help some guidance some direction and that is such an appropriate thing to ask a boss for and uh, (laughs) totally (laughs) totally it's it's also an appropriate thing to ask a a good working colleague for but particularly Mm -hmm. a boss i think it's okay to even say could i lean on you to set the parameters here a little bit Mm -hmm. And and I can give you a little bit of information so you know what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really like that approach. What do you think about the part where this person, uh, she wants to she wants to be like friends with this. Like she she had a good time, you know, it was like they we did the the state over at their house and like our families got along and everything. And like now that we're in contact again, this is someone I would typically want to invite over for dinner or to go out on a double date with or something like that. And I'm nervous because it's my boss and that feels awkward. <laughs> like, what do you think about the social side of it? I think that it is potentially awkward mm-hmm. and it can be difficult to socialize outside of work and maintain a professional work relationship or, or um, hierarchy. Yeah. And it's not impossible. A lot of people choose to do it. I would wait to move into that space until I had the conversation about resolving the the nature of the relationship at work. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. Like deal with this one first at work. And then as you've built more time together on this nine month project work, work your way towards that social side again, if you want to. Right. And and there might be a natural moment where it's, it's easy to, to cross that bridge, or mm -hmm. it might be that it kind of studiously doesn't come up. And that might be something that your boss, former coworker is, is managing also. And it might be something they're very comfortable with. It might be something that they're not that comfortable with. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily want to push someone to make a decision about that right mm -hmm. away, um, particularly if I wasn't coming from a place where I felt really balanced and centered already myself. If you weren't gung-ho for it. Yeah, exactly. If you had some questions in your brain, they might be good questions to be asking, right? <laughs> I really like the awareness, too, that there might be a time for this relationship to develop that's not right now. That yeah. maybe, it, maybe it's not when you retire, but maybe in another six months when you're working on different projects or when the particular things that you've been working on together aren't happening as much. There might even be an opportune moment as you go on to your next thing to say, it's been such a pleasure working with you. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I'd love to stay in touch or I'd love to um, reach out to you periodically. Once upon a time, I really thought of you as a mentor and I'd love to be able to lean on you again like that. Or what, there might just be an opportunity to do a relationship shift as the work shifts at some point also. Yeah. And I think especially once you get that conversation with them about the the nature of, of how you're speaking to them at work. Um, I think that's once that's under your belt, I think that'll also be very telling of sort of where things are at. Like if, if it was, Oh no, you've, you've been fine. I've, you know, I love the fact that, that we're working together. It's speak to me however you want, like no big deal. Like it's, it's really been okay. Which I think if is I, a likely outcome like, here. <laughs> yeah. Likely outcome. But it's also, if that's the answer that I'm getting, you know, I think maybe a couple months from now when that groove has felt really good, that's when I might say, Hey, you know, my husband and I are going to this thing this weekend. Do you guys want to come? Or, and again, we're also dealing with, you know, COVID and restrictions and things like that. But I think that once you've, you've like kind of settled into that comfort zone where you now also feel more comfortable because you know, where that expectation from the boss is, you'll have a better sense of whether it feels like you could broach a casual, let's get together, or, you know, do you want to do a play date with the kids or something like that if if you wanted to. And I think if you know that that, that boss relationship is casual and friendly and welcoming, I'd feel more encouraged that. I, I mean, I can remember like employees at Emily Post over the years or even my dad's place postscript, you know, like a, occasionally choosing to do something with us outside of work. You know what I mean? And it does kind of matter whether it's the boss asking or whether it's the employee asking, but it's obviously not unheard of to like socialize with people from work outside of work. But I think that first conversation is going to tell you a lot about whether it's going to feel right to ask while you're still in this boss employee relationship on this project. Anonymous, bravo. Good work on the self-reflection and the care that you're taking with both professional and social relationships. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
thank you for your questions. We definitely need more questions right now. So please send us your updates, feedback, and more questions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Lisa about the practice of including pronouns in email signatures. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you for your recommendation to include pronouns with your name in emails to help with correct gender identification. At my workplace, and even in my personal friend's practice, we encourage everyone to do this so that it normalizes the practice. In addition to being supporting of folks who are trans and non-binary, this also helps with people who have ambiguously gendered names, as noted, or who have names from a different cultural background than the one in which they commonly interact, personally or professionally. Some people I know have also added short audio clips of their signature of the correct pronunciation of their name as well. As always, I do find you both quite awesome. Thank you. And all the Emily Post Institute staff for your work. Sincerely, Lisa. I feel like after our last question, we should say, Lisa, you're so welcome. And we are so grateful to be able to do this work. So thank you for participating in it with us. How's that for your welcome and thank you, Dan? (laughs) Bravo. Lisa, I have very little else to add except thank you so much for the feedback and that's a great tip on maybe including a little audio recording for difficult for names that are difficult for people to pronounce i like that i like it a lot thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates and please keep them coming you can send your feedback or update to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about seating charts. Which is like so the type says of with thing. Excitement. I know, I was going to say, and it's like so the type of thing you think you're going to hear about on an etiquette show, you know? <laughs> it's nice to fulfill expectations. It's yeah. nice to meet them every once in a while. <laughs> but we are, we are. We're going to talk about seating charts. And we know that it's a slightly visual thing. So uh, much like whenever we talk about invitations or something, we're, we're hoping and you can imagine and picture and 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 think about all the different scenarios that we might experience this in but seating charts are super etiquette and yet they aren't something where there are super hard and fast rules and yet the rules aren't so soft either it's like they occupy this space we're gonna tell you what to do now <laughs> yeah like we're gonna tell you what to do but then there's all these other moments where you might not do it that way it's it's very emily post etiquette but i figured one of the first things dan 
that's a really good question for us to answer is when do you need or want a seeding chart? And and you and I kind of talked about this, how we see it play out in our personal lives and how we see it play out in more formal formal occasions. But what are your first thoughts about when when do you need or want a seeding chart? Well, my, my big thought is the big one. And it's the, the place one. that a lot of people encounter <laughs> it, which is at a, a wedding. Big event. Um, but it's a, a big event where you've got a lot of people and mm-hmm. – you want to bring some organization to that. You want certain people, certain places, maybe near the front, maybe where they've got access to other people, where they can be seen. For an event like that, there might be a number of considerations. But for any event that size, it can be really helpful. And for those events, one of our our biggest points or pieces of advice to people making a seating chart for a really large event, whether it's a, a charity event, whether it's a reception or it's a, it's a wedding – is to really think about the the people that you're seating <laughs> and have intention behind the placement. There's often a lot that a host is trying to balance in that moment. For the weddings, you hear us often talk about the families that don't get along and where to place people and how like all the different ways that you could group people together, things like you you don't try to create a, a throwaway table that is sometimes joked about in TV sitcoms, <laughs> but that there's a lot that goes into that. There really is. In fact, it's the major topic for Emily Post's dining etiquette chapter in her first book of etiquette. She pays (laughs) so much attention to thinking about her guests and their personalities and how to mix and match people so they have a good time together. And we we don't often think of that as the etiquette question. We're we're sort of thinking of more uh, specific details. Mm -hmm. But that willingness to think about whole people. And the experience and the time they're going to have together is a big part of thinking about a seating chart. I know that for for big events, it makes a lot of sense. It also helps guests feel comfortable and confident knowing what to do in a much bigger group. But when we're talking about more like the friend crowd, the the people you're comfortable with, the people that you, you would entertain with regularly, I feel like there is this difference between throwing a dinner party for that crowd and having folks over for dinner for that crowd. Yes, no? Do you do you, like do you catch the formality difference I feel here? I do. And I mean, unless it's an event where I've invited people ahead of time in a way that I've I've got my guest list organized. Uh-huh. It's not a part of my planning process that I would ever have the place cards ready. (laughs) Totally, totally. If that makes any sense. It's it's a real practical thing. Right. Whereas, like, I know that for our our holiday events, even sometimes when it's a smaller, more intimate group – that's one place where my mom is trying – she's the hostess in this case. Um, she's trying to make it a little bit special and elevating it to that level of uh, place cards or, or seating arrangements a- adds to that. So for me, the difference is am I trying to create a more formal event or is this me just having casual dinner with friends and just a good a good Friday night? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, in my own personal life, I can remember when I hosted an engagement party for a girlfriend and it was a group of all of us girls and we went to my parents' house. I think we've talked about this on the show before. But that was one where this is my super casual, like wonderful group of girlfriends, but the co-host and I made a seating chart and we, we put people around and I feel like what was really great about it was you, you still had like formality in with the comfort of these people. 
And I know this doesn't always happen. Sometimes we get invited to dinners or events where we don't know as many people around us. But there was something really nice about being formal with my friends, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) And we haven't talked a lot about the specific uh, etiquette around the place card itself Mm. because it's pretty simple. (laughs) It's a card (laughs) with your name on it that's at the seat that you're supposed to sit at. And the etiquette comes in not switching that, right? Like not tampering with it if the host has made the suggestion. (laughs) It didn't even occur to me that you might do such a thing. Oh, people do that. Oh, people do that. They try and switch the cards. And definitely like the larger the event, the more the temptation is to say, eh, I'm just going to switch these two. That other person will never know. Like, I've got to get back into my rule-breaking youthful mindset. That's that's brilliant. Oh, wait, wait. wait. This wouldn't be something I would do, but I've seen people do it. And the only thing that I would add is if you are at a bigger event, having uh, a larger, usually like a poster board or some sort of display. I've seen them on um, flat screen TVs these days, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that that show tables and names so that you're not wandering around a larger event space trying to read and find your name. But mm-hmm. there's somewhere you can go to reference and, oh, I'm at table 13. And then you're looking through 12 instead of 140 name tags. <laughs> Which definitely helps. But let's say that you're in a situation where there aren't any place tags at the table and there's not a big board saying, oh, go look for a place tag here or there. In other words, your host hasn't provided one or you realize that they aren't going to. How do you decide where to sit as a guest? Is this a is this a big party or is this a little party? Is this like a big event or is it like in someone's house? Give us the one, two, three. Okay. Let's start at the big event. <laughs> at the big event, I would venture to guess that that means open seating. And I would probably try to find someone who might be in the know to just double check with that assumption. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But Will, your brother, his wedding was like this, where it was all open seating. There was a big buffet. It was kind of like once the food was up, it was come one, come all and sit where you're comfortable. And I remember Sue's like, I I think I even checked with the bride. I was like, so do we just sit anywhere? And she was like, yeah, we want people to feel really comfortable, like just, you know, like going at their own pace kind of. And so that was the vibe they wanted to create. And it was effective. It did that. It did. It had that feel of kind of everyone went at their own pace and found their own place. But so so for a big event, if I didn't see it, I would probably double check with someone who might be in the know or I would kind of hang back a bit and see what other people are doing. But the, the, the general assumption, if there is no seating chart, there is no table directory, then, yeah, you find your own spot and it's fine to group as you would like. Um, sometimes it's nice to mix yourself around people you don't know. And other times it's nice to be in the comfort of those who you do know. <laughs> so what about at home, smaller event, and we're going to say we're not going for that formal feel. So no seating chart, but we're headed to the table. We're headed to the table. It was funny. I was talking with a friend of mine about this uh, yesterday as we were thinking about doing this segment. And I said, so it's like open. I, I posed it just like that. Open seating, casual dinner, no table. I said, where would you sit? And she was like, at the table. And I was like, well, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> where? Until like, it's full. Where at the table? And she goes, oh, well, not at the head. And I thought that was so interesting because we're in this casual environment. But the idea of the head of the table was still something people, well, at least in our conversation, the, the consensus was that would be an uncomfortable place to just assume a seat. But that any other seat on 
on a non-round table would feel comfortable. And square tables, I don't know how you tell what's the head. It feels like a round table to me where ev- everything is kind of equal spot, you know? I know I have asked, are there places people usually sit? Yeah. Because even if it's not the the special head of the table, we get into habits and routines. And sometimes around the family dinner table, there is a place that someone sits. Seats. Yeah. No, Anna and I totally had our seats growing up. Lizzie sits there. Anna sits there. And then, you know, goodness, if somebody wants to trade up at some point in life Mm -hmm. (laughs) or trade out, I should say. But, yeah, I think the general consensus is that if if it's a rectangular table, you – you don't sit at the head of the table, but that you, you find a different seat as a guest, at least. But the host might say, sit anywhere. And you also might be in a position where there's only one host and all the other seats are taken and the, the other head of the table is the only other spot. And of course, you would then sit there. This is something that has changed over time. And I want to talk a little bit about the tradition of how you build a seating chart. And we've referenced some of it already Maybe a host sitting at a head of a table or at a seat of honor and then oftentimes placing a guest of honor to their right. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, what are the other considerations as you're you're building that seating chart? So traditionally, we used to describe this as boy-girl order is one of the next big considerations or one of the other, I would say. It's not really like they're totally in order, but one of the the other big considerations. And Nowadays, we just don't feel as confident about that advice that I think it really serves more of our friend groups or if it's an an office dinner that you've been invited to, the the office group. um, Well, if you're not as concerned about a binary alternating gender and it it doesn't seem to be very inclusive advice. Um, And so we simply say once once you've got your. Uh, hosts in place and you've got any guests of honor if there are any in place, then it's really about trying to think about who would get along well with each other. I mean, that's one of the responsibilities of a host, right, is to create that good, wonderful experience at the table or with a group. As Dan was saying at the beginning, Emily describes it really well when she's talking about how dinner is given in a great house, um, you know, and like who 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 would go well together, who would enjoy talking with one another. She often says things like you don't put two talkers together because nobody's listening. You know, you don't put two people who really aren't comfortable talking or, you know, a little more introverted uh, together. You don't want them to feel, you know, isolated and quiet or you're at least trying to play with and think of these things and hedge your best guess. There's something I noticed her doing a lot in a lot of that sort of planning, which was trying to mix it up a little bit. Yes. She would try to bring some more established couples and some newer couples. She would try to invite somebody who would... Uh, sort of intellectually stimulate the gathering, uh, mm-hmm. an artist, a thinker. Um, but it, oftentimes it was about getting some variety, some variety in mm-hmm. perspective. And and part of me always thought of that boy girl ordering as just a way to mix it up. <laughs> and sure. that might be another way to think of the direction that what you're trying to create an atmosphere and an environment that's right. – Lively and engaging and not suffocating for anybody. Exactly. And in in today's environment, we just we eliminate the idea that that binary gender is necessary to making that work well. 
In the spirit of mixing it up, one of the other really traditional points that's made about seating charts is to split couples up. And you wouldn't do this to a newly engaged couple. And you also probably wouldn't do this like to a first time meeting. Like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's the first time like a, a new significant other is meeting the group or something like that. I think a lot of times that's a, that's a, a moment where you don't want to say someone couldn't handle themselves on their own and assume that, but that it's, it's nice for them to have their partner that's introducing them to this whole crowd. They're being introduced as yeah, part of a couple. Exactly. And whether that's a family crowd or a, or a close friends crowd, I think it's, it's nice to kind of keep that couple together, even if they aren't engaged right now. Dan, you when you and I talked about this, you were like, man, the first like couple years of my marriage, I wanted to be close to my partner. But now I'm really excited to be seated next to everybody else. And that's not a knock on Pooge. You guys are closer than ever, which is why you said it was fun to be around well, other people. <laughs> and, and, and the juicy detail from that conversation is that I also acknowledge that Pooch and I had a particularly lovey-dovey sort of early relationship. Oh, and did. I feel like <laughs> that newlywed period where we were very inseparable maybe dragged on a little longer than maybe it does with some couples. Anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, the spirit is to mix things up, to stimulate conversation. I will say as a single person, it is really nice to not just be surrounded by couples who are coupled up together. I feel like I'm always only talking to two people at a time, like the two merge to one. And But the idea of the goal is, is to mix it up at those smaller, more comfortable, familiar events. And then to when it comes to couples at a larger event, or as we said, during kind of a, a new time for them being together to keep them together. Um, but we actually, we heard feedback. We did a post recently on our uh, Instagram about this. And we had we had people pop up with some different reasons for why they would want to be with their partner and some issues for what happens if you don't, like the 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 awkward position you're put in if you are upset about, and I'm going to add for whatever reason, but this was the reason of being split from their partner, the awkwardness of trying to ask a host or let a host know that you're displeased with where you're sitting. And I mean, I don't know about you, Dan, but I like... I can remember some like family events where you're like, no, 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 seat me over there. I don't want to be over there, you know, and you're being. I've never had that thought. Maybe I don't know so, what you're talking about. Maybe not so about. gracious <laughs> moment in my head. <laughs> like, um, and it's one thing when you're helping to set it up, but, but these folks are right. It, it is, it would be awkward to ask a host if you could switch. There was a situation where the idea is, so, so what if it's about, and I think a lot of people might face feelings of, of the, at, well, maybe they won't. Maybe after being cooped up with their partners for a year, they're going to be ready to mix it up at a dinner <laughs> table. But I know a lot of people are concerned about how they're going to feel socially when they're out and about. And I think that if you were really concerned to the point where you were anxious about being seated away from your partner for that long, that reaching out to your friend who's the host and saying, hey, listen, you know, I'm actually really feeling like it would be great if you end up doing a seating chart tonight, if there's any way you could accommodate me, you know, to sit next to my partner, it would just, oh, it would help me feel so comfortable. I don't know. Does that feel like it would be rude to approach a host like that ahead of time before you're aware of any seating charts? I think ahead of time's the best way to go. I'm not going to say the only way to go, okay, but yeah. it, it avoids that awkwardness of, I've put the time in to do it this way mm -hmm. and now I'm changing it on the fly. Mm -hmm. 
which is, I think, that uncomfortable moment that you're trying to avoid. So a, a heads up in the same way, a heads up around a dietary restriction or totally. any other consideration that a host would want to know to better provide for you. I've been skipping date night for 12 months and it would be really nice to spend an evening sitting with my partner. Yeah. <laughs> it might be the kind of thing you would mention over the phone in replying to an invitation if you knew someone well enough to, to make that ask. So, Dan, one of the other things that we heard a couple people mention in response to that post was the idea that hosts shouldn't be placed at the heads of a long rectangular table as it puts them not in the center of the action. And I personally just this wasn't something I was getting on board with. In in my realm, the table doesn't have a center. The ends don't feel so far removed from other people. I think if you had a long table with only like four or five guests, I could see how like then nicks the ends of the table, have everyone sit closer towards the middle together in a grouping instead of utilizing mm -hmm. the ends of the table. But I, I don't look at one particular area of the table or one particular host guest combo being the star. And I don't think a good host when they're planning that table and really trying to make it a good experience for all would do that either. So for me, that was when I heard that piece of advice, that was where my brain went was let's let's keep working on making the table a really great table altogether so that no one end feels less than the other. I'm ready to get on board with that egalitarian perspective. <laughs> okay. And it's something that we've been working toward in the slow moving changes in the tradition of dining. The it's no longer the, the king on the throne <laughs> is no longer elevated above everyone else. Like actually, first the chair came down to the same level as everyone, but it was still bigger, um, <laughs> more and, ornate. <laughs> you know, little by little, we've we've started to approach the table as a place where equals meet to dine, mm -hmm. and I think that's a sort of a spirit and an aesthetic to continue to look for creating around your table and sort of awkwardly if the head of the table starts to be a disadvantaged position because it's isolated it's apart it doesn't feel Some as way. connected to everyone else <laughs> yeah. assigning a guest to it feels um uh, a little counterproductive in some ways. That was my other concern. But like we said, we like the idea if your table is so large and your guest list is small that it that could bring people together by eliminating those heads. But avoid um, the coming from America breakfast scene. Yes, exactly. I know this has been a really long conversation. And as always, Dan and I could continue to talk about like good table seating practices and all the wonderful characters that Emily used to talk about being around the table and what it would be like to dine next to them. She has a fabulous section on it. But unfortunately, we're going to have to leave the rest of it for another time. But I thought this was this was really fun to kind of etiquette geek out on seating charts. Small matters, but they are important when they show whether or not your habits of etiquette are correct. Betty's confidence is shaken a bit, and she has doubts of her correctness. Should she have preceded her guests into the room? Is she directing them to their places properly? Should Betty have used place cards? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Linda. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute for a stranger in a sushi restaurant. It's one of those places where you sit around a revolving sushi bar, oh. but if you want to order something else, you have to get the attention of the workers behind the bar. 
While I was eating with my husband, I noticed a woman across the bar desperately trying to get someone's attention, but she was so quiet. I don't think any of them could hear her. I felt so bad, I was about to go over and try to help. Luckily, a man closer to her stepped in to get a worker's attention for her. It was just nice to see a stranger helping out a fellow human. Thanks for the show, Linda. Linda, I love it. And it's like observational etiquette salute. Like, I, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing this. And I hope you enjoyed the sushi. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media if you wish to. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute, and we do want your questions. Oh my by goodness, email yes. <laughs> to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show rankings, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget. And good luck, Bridget, on your travels. 